look at all dualities in the human experience and play on the edges of them. And that's how you kind of up level and even find oneness and see how two seemingly contradictory forces can actually coexist as one. That's the very essence of what an experience of enlightenment is. If you're not conscious about your investment strategy, you won't end up where you want to be, not financially or as a human. On this show, we interview highly successful investors and share how they overcame limitations to become unstoppable forces of success. If you're ready to learn what it is to be a conscious investor so you can end up where you want, keep listening. Conscious investor, are you living big? Are you staying inside that box? We've talked about that before on so many mindset episodes where we trap ourselves and we stay in the box. And we want to extract ourselves from that. We want to live a large, full life. Like we want to do the impossible because that's actually very possible. And you're drawn towards that for a very specific reason. This is why I'm so excited, elated, have had this on the schedule for months now to have Akshay on the podcast. He is phenomenal to say the least. And his platform, Fear Nava, is going to support you in so many powerful ways because a lot of times fear is inhibiting us from taking that first or next step. And when we learn to leverage fear, we go so far so fast. I'm not going to say much more because I want to have actually explain everything. But first, um, like literally, I'm a little bit tongue tied because I'm so excited. And there are a hundred directions, conscious investor, that I want to take this conversation. But you know what? You want to hear from our amazing guests. So let's start there. Actually, so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be here. It is amazing. And we met in Conscious Investor. You've seen my friend, heard my friend, Dennis Meralda from Building Men on the Conscious Investor in the past. He's coming back again soon. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. But that is how Akshay and I actually came out like crossed paths. I was listening to the Building Men podcast. I hear this episode. My son is in the Building Men Foundation, which is for teenage youth. So if you have a son that needs like a group of people, of guys that are want to go and live life in a big way, that's a great place to go. But actually went and spoke and my son came out of that foundation meeting. He's like, oh my gosh, that was so great. That was so great. And so I was like, okay, this is amazing. But your past and what you have endured, and as we said off air, like repurposing, let's give the conscious investor who's not familiar with you, just some of your background. Yeah, I'm originally from India, born in India, moved around a lot as a young kid. I moved to the US at 13. And very quickly after moving here, I got heavily into drugs, into alcohol, very self-destructive. I used to cut myself, burn myself. I still have these scars on my arm. I lost two friends to addiction, was going down that path myself until I saw the movie Black Hawk Down. And that movie changed my life. That movie planted the seed that got me off drugs. And almost overnight, it inspired me to join the military. And that's what had me then join the Marines. It took me about a year and a half to get in because I have scoliosis, I have flat feet, I have a blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. So all of these were disqualifying conditions and I had to kind of fight my way to get in. But being a post 9-11 world, here's a young kid who wants to go Marine Corps infantry, we'll find a place for you kind of thing, you know. So <laughs> I found my way in and the Marines birthed the very essence of who I am today and everything about Firbana because it taught me the gift in suffering. It taught me how to find beauty 
in going to war with yourself, doing hard things, embracing struggle and doing it for something bigger than you. Because in the Marines, nobody cares about your well-being. What matters is your men and the mission. And as much as there's moments when I hated that and every Marine will, but it's profoundly beautiful life experience to experience that, to live for the good of the group above the self. And from there, I got into every outdoor sport you can think of because I wanted to find other ways to challenge my fears and to explore the limitlessness of the human spirit. Then in 2007, was deployed to Iraq as an infantry Marine, where one of my jobs out there was to walk in front of our vehicles looking for bombs before they could be used to kill me and my fellow Marines. So a pretty dangerous job. But through all of this, I got pretty good at navigating fear and navigating adversity. But I really struggled after the war, came back home, was diagnosed with PTSD, depression, was drinking a bottle of vodka a day for moments. And one morning after five days of binge drinking, I was seconds away from slitting my own wrists and was ready to take my own life. That was the moment that began my kind of climb out of this abyss and delve deep into neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, led me to changing my life. Obviously, I'm sober now, built a business, wrote this book, Fearvana, which is all about helping people turn their fears and their suffering into bliss, into even nirvana. Got into outdoor sports once again, ran ultra marathons, climbed in the Himalayas, lost a couple of fingers to frostbite in Antarctica. No, he's not flipping you off (laughs) if you're watching on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm an adventurer and entrepreneur training for a 110-day crossing of the entire continent of Antarctica that's never been done before. Okay, there is so much. I'm writing all these questions and I knew this is how it's going to go because I've listened to you before. And by the way, Conscious Investor, I just want you to pause right now and visualize yourself, the convoy of military trucks and tanks and everything and walking in front of them, looking for danger, looking for bombs. I've heard you share that in more depth and less depth as well. But Every single time, it just causes me to really sober up and say like, dang. And that really gives credence as to, oh, I'm at the front of everything and I'm looking for this danger. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. One question as you're talking, you were saying that this whole experience really got you to think about exploring something that is bigger and larger than you. And you're like, I'm part of something that was in the Marines. I'm part of something almost... You're making your identity subordinate to a greater mission, to a greater cause. You've worked with so many different people over the years. What is something that people could do to identify kind of their greater mission, their greater contribution or purpose in life? Some people right now, they're new conscious investors and they know they have something bigger. They just kind of trying to figure it out. Is there a way to direct them? Yeah, sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming to think about it in a very large context. So a good way to start is just make it small. Like, let me start, what can I do for my family? Then the community. And as you explore your own edges, then that can start to expand as to where you want to go. First, you got to look at also like, okay, in what arena do you want to serve, right? Like, okay, if you're a conscious investor, you're an adult, let's say you know your path. This is my arena. Every arena can be an arena for service. Like for me now, I'm an adventurer more than an entrepreneur. And people have asked like, okay, how does you going to ski across Antarctica help other people? Like how does it make the world better? So one thing to always look at is, I believe every worthy goal should have two motivations, both a selfish and a selfless. 
Selfish is another word that's demonized, right? Selfishness is not inherently bad. Yes, it can be if you push it to a degree that you don't care about anything but yourself. But it is important to also look at what matters to you, right? My adventure goals, of course, I get something from it as well. But when you translate it to how you can make this bigger... And often it's just as much of a conscious choice. Like, how does this make the world better? What can I do with this to make the world better? So when you start asking that question, you start looking for answers. And in Firavana, I talk about this. And neuroscience has actually shown when you think about your goal in the context of something bigger, something better, it makes you better at the craft. Like they put these group of people in a job interview and they had half the people just think about how it'll make their life better. Half the people, how it will make something greater than themselves, their family or the world better. And objectively, by third-party viewers, the ones who thought about how it makes others better, they perform better in the job interview consistently, you know? Um, So it's just a conscious choice. Okay, this is my path. What can I do with this to make the world better? And starting to ask that question will start giving you room to find the answers. For me, when I do these adventures on the edge, I get blessed with a great deal of wisdom from accessing doorways into the human soul that are very rarely opened. And that's what has me come on shows like this or speak to people like Dennis and speak on stages is because I've been blessed with this tremendous amount of life experience playing on the very edges of the human condition and life and death. And that has granted me wisdom that I now get to share and unearth these treasures in the human soul that I get to impart and gift others as well. And that's a gift. It's so important. I talk about this regularly. I love adventure sports as well. Not your level of adventure sport. My son and I were out like on these go-karts this last weekend going super fast and it was so much fun. I'm like, if I don't have my adrenaline, I've got some issues. But part of that is the risk element, right? If I'm out mountain biking and I just have to have intense, insane focus, but it pushes your body for me, like I can be out there and I can push myself to that. I don't know that I can do this. And as you're saying, it just unearths in my own little pocket, not in Antarctica, but it unearths this like, oh, whoa, you didn't even know you had this capacity in this bandwidth and this potential in you. And it's like, you just get to go on these adventures and harvest it out of you. Yeah. That's the thing too, like that discovery of unearthing that within your spirit, within the collective human spirit that you tap into, it can only be found in the arena. Like listening to a podcast, reading a book is great to provide an aha, but you have to go into the arena to discover that. Like one of my big beefs in the personal development world is this ridiculous overemphasis on focusing on overcoming limiting beliefs. Like your limiting beliefs don't matter. Like belief is built on the battlefield. That's one of my core mantras. Belief is built on the battlefield, meaning go to war in whatever capacity. It doesn't have to be going to Antarctica. Mm -hmm. It can be writing a book was harder. I mean, I got more scared going on a date than I do going to Antarctica. So whatever the thing is, but you're pushing yourself beyond the place you know. And once you step into the arena, that's where you build belief. So you don't have to listen to your thoughts. You don't have to listen to your belief. That's why I find it unhelpful to place so much emphasis on overcoming limiting beliefs because who cares what they are? Just leap, Mm -hmm. go into the arena, play on those edges. Sometimes you'll get a little hurt, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. I've lost a couple of fingers, but I have zero regrets playing on these edges. Right. And so that's where the belief is built. That's where the confidence builds. And that's where that real journey of awakening and even enlightenment happens in the arena, mm-hmm. whatever the arena may oh be, my- have to be my arena. I echo that a million percent in that whole element, along with like limiting beliefs and confidence. A lot of people say like, oh, I'm not confident in something. It's like 
as long as you're a sideline person, you're never going to have confidence because you don't know what you're made of. You have to test it. Like if you're not testing yourself, then like, how are you going to even know what you have and how to like iterate off of that? Confidence is the result of action, not the fuel for action. You're not going to be confident when you've never done something before. How can you? Even if you have and you're nervous, who cares? Like I said, I literally got more scared. I'm now dating somebody and I was more scared going on that first few dates with her than all the crazy things I do. And I do some pretty crazy things as you gathered, but I don't care that the fear is there. You know, I used to judge myself like, oh, stop being afraid. What's wrong with you? And I'd be almost too embarrassed to even say it, but I don't care that it's there. Let it show up whenever it wants to show up. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to be defined by it. It's an access point to something. Okay. So then how do we access that? I think that's where some people say like, okay, again, wow, way to go, Akshay and Julie. You guys are really great. So happy for y'all. But I'm curious. I mean, I know my story, right? But like for you overcoming, and by the way, making such a huge transition at 13, that in and of itself is a huge deal, right? Like a huge move makes for something big in life. But how did you access that? Like, where did you give yourself that permission, I suppose, to actually say I'm on the field? And to show up 100% and then step out and maybe see yourself. Yeah. The first step in accessing and tapping to that is to not demonize and judge emotions and experiences as bad or good. Because even the word fear, like when you say fear, stress, anxiety, guilt, we hear these words, we think of them as quote unquote bad emotions, but there are no bad emotions. There's no good emotions. There's only emotions. And it's up to us to decide what we do with them. So like, I'll give you a concrete example. I was working with this client once who was going to Iceland on his own for a vacation. And he got super nervous because he was going his own. He sees all the crazy things I do. And he's like, what's wrong with me? Why am I nervous? Why am I scared? You do all these crazy things and then I'm scared. But the problem wasn't the fear. He had never traveled on a vacation by himself. So his brain said, this is a perception of risk. The problem was the judgment he had around himself. Like, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? That was the real problem, right? Not the fear. So the first step is, all right, I'm feeling this fear. And neuroscience has also shown that when you label an emotion, when you acknowledge its presence, it actually reduces activity in the limbic system, in the emotional parts of the brain, and increases activity in the prefrontal cortex, the parts of the brain related to focus and awareness. So it essentially creates the space for you to respond to the emotion instead of reacting to it. So instead of demonizing it, got it, I'm feeling the fear. Now, what can I do with it, right? So for example, even writing a book on fear, I was terrified. So what I did was, okay, why am I scared? What's the worst case scenario? I could get one star reviews on Amazon. People will think I'm stupid. People will judge me. (laughs) All this stuff, right? And these are all valid fears. And here I'm writing a book on fear. So I literally would write this down. What am I scared of? Why am I scared? What's the worst case scenario? And then how can I prepare for that worst case scenario? Because when you engage it, fear propels you to prepare. I am terrified everything I do. That fear helps me prepare. So I actually studied from authors like Jack Canfield, Tim Ferriss. How do you write a better book? And as a result, I wrote a book that was worthy of being endorsed by the Dalai Lama, right? My fear helped me write a better book. I'm grateful for it because if I just didn't care, I would have put something out there and who cares? My fear was an expression of my love. So the first step is don't demonize it, accept it, engage it, consciously step into the emotion, whatever it may be. Then it can become a fuel for something great. As another example, in an extreme setting, like when I came back from the war, I struggled with survivor's guilt. I lost a friend of mine in the war. And when I was out there, my vehicle drove over an active bomb that didn't explode for some reason. My friends drove over a bomb and it did explode and he was killed. 
Why does that happen? Right. There's no answer for that, but I really struggle with that. And that was leading to a lot of the drinking for a long time. And everybody told me, don't feel guilty. Like it's not your fault. And I get it in war. You can't control that. Nobody can, right? Bullets fly where they fly. Bombs happen to explode when they explode. Nobody can control it. But the problem was not the guilt. The problem was the demonization of that guilt. Guilt is not a bad emotion. And so everybody said, don't feel guilty. And rationally, I get it. But emotionally, my guilt was just an expression of my love for my brother in arms. So instead of demonizing it, I reframed it. And for a long time, I had a picture of my friend up on my wall and it said, this should have been you earn this life. And my guilt became my ally. The guilt became fuel to do something beautiful with this life that I've been gifted. Oh, gosh. I'm like, I just want to give you a hug. I'm so grateful for you. It's not often that I meet people that we have very similar thinking on all of this. And I like to think of it, if you don't mind me expressing it in this way, I always express it as like you're sitting on a park bench and sometimes your friend fear shows up and sometimes happiness shows up, sometimes guilt, but it's like they're there to serve us. And conscious investor, you've heard me say this. It's like, just put your arm around them and say like, wow, you showed up. You're here. Like you're here to inform me of something. You're here to show me something like you're for me. You're not against me. Yeah, but We've really demonized all of these feelings and put them into these categories and polarize people. It's like, if you feel sadness, there must be something wrong in your life. Like what? part of the human experience. Yeah. You can't really know. <laughs> unless you experience sadness. It's the polarity. It's the contrast that gives life its flavor. Otherwise, you're static and that's no way to live life. That's why Henry Thoreau said most men, and I would argue most people live lives of quiet desperation. You have to be able mm-hmm. to be willing to play in the lows to really know the highs. That's the only way mm-hmm. they can exist. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. Another question from what you were talking about earlier a lot of times we say we have to hit rock bottom before we can go up. And you kind of just alluded to that, right? Like those lows, like allow us to see other things. How can we leverage that? I mean, you had a low, I mean, you were drinking a bottle of vodka, you're an alcoholic, you're suicidal. I mean, so some people have those negative thoughts, which I think are really normal for humans to be like, Oh my gosh, do I want this? Like, I feel like that is probably more part of the human experience as I talk with people than not. But for those people that start to take it further and say like, okay, no, I'm going to slip my wrists. I'm going to do this, right? That's a whole different level. That's a different level than being like, oh my gosh, you know, like last month has sucked. My business is tanking. Like the world is imploding. Maybe I should just exit. That's one category of people and I'm not minimizing, but I do want to say like, I feel like that again, reiterating. That could be maybe part of the human experience. I've been starting to investigate that a little bit because I'm hearing it from people, but you always have to take everything seriously. Um, I might regret this part of this conversation because again, new exploration for me. But when somebody's really thinking about it and planning it, do we have to get to that rock bottom? Do we have to get to that level of point? Or is there a way where we can kind of fabricate I don't need to become an alcoholic or suicidal or have X, Y, Z. I don't have to become bankrupt. I can see these signs and identify them. And I love it because you're smiling. So I know I'm like, go. I love that you asked that because it's rare for somebody. I love that you even use the word fabricate because I say the same thing because it's rare to kind of think about it that way. So that's why I was smiling because see, rock bottom is relative. Like when I was drinking on the verge of suicide, that's a very like, extreme rock bottom and one can say okay that's a clear objective rock bottom but rock bottom can be i had a bad day today 
because that's your point. It's fabricating it, right? Because how we engage with the human experiences, our lives, is through the lens we see it. So pain is the greatest driver of change. So to your point, I can engineer that. I can fabricate that. And I can say, this is rock bottom. Like I can make this feel like a rock bottom simply by consciously amplifying the intensity of this pain to say, this is no longer the way I want to be. It doesn't have to be like now, obviously I don't drink. My life is significantly better in every way, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially than when I was on that like drinking myself stupid on the verge of suicide. But now I can look at, all right, where the gap is, right? So first, especially in terms of engineering or fabricating a rock bottom, what's the gap that I currently have, you know? And now it could be, I'm just not training as many hours as I want. Very different than drinking myself, but I'm gonna make that feel like a rock bottom, right? I'm gonna make that feel painful enough. I'm gonna look at that. And like, that can be engineered in all kinds of ways. So I also will play on an edge. Like a few weeks ago, I did this, practice where it sounds a little crazy, but I was consciously engaging trauma, like consciously engineering trauma as a mechanism to create post-traumatic growth, right? So for me, my quote unquote flavor of trauma, if you will, is very war related. So I was putting myself in the space of every night I was crying myself to sleep, watching intense scenes from war movies to the point that I was having flashbacks and nightmares at night because I wanted to step back into that space, the guilt. I was like, I'm going to re-engineer a new pain to step into that feeling of this debt that I quote unquote owe for my life that I believe, right? I owe this debt for my life. So that's a paradigm that you don't have to agree with me, but for me, it works. So I'm going to re-step mm-hmm. into it to up-level again. I also did a six-day fast training 17 hours that in 100 degrees in Phoenix in Arizona. I mean, I got so bad at the end of my five-hour hike after five and a half days that I was like throwing up. I was cramping, full-body cramping, nauseous, dizzy, lightheaded. It was crazy. And I'm not saying you have to push yourself to that extreme. That was borderline dangerous. But the point <laughs> that I'm making was I did that because I wanted to combine a physical experience of suffering, hence the fast and training with this emotional experience I was creating because I was engineering a quote unquote rock bottom, right? I was engineering a state of pain to access a new evolution because pain is the greatest driver for change. So I'm going to use that as a tool and create it whenever I need to, to up level in a new way. Because we're all right now in a status quo. Like every time you up level, there's a new normal. The whole goal in growth, whatever growth, you know, mental, spiritual, financial, physical, whatever the area of growth, you'll get to a point. Now that becomes normal. This is the new normal. To up level the status quo, you have to do something radical to change it again. You have to overload the system. You have to exercise will. You have to go into new spaces of suffering. The inherent nature of going outside what you currently are is going to be uncomfortable right? If you want to attain something you've never had before, you have to go somewhere you've never been before in whatever Mm -hmm. context. And that's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be painful. It's going to struggle. You're going to suffer. But that's where the thing is. So I engineer that. That's why coming back to the very foundation of what we were saying is to combat the essence of fear of honest, to combat the demonization of suffering, not just fear, but any kind of suffering and even reframing how you view that word. Like I in talks that I do around the world, I'll show this slide with words like suffering, anxiety, stress, adversity, pain, and ask how many of you think of it as positive. Almost universally, nobody thinks of it as positive. You start to shift that and you start to hear like my friends, I can't go a day without suffering coming up in a conversation, you know, so because it's just the essence and I love it. I don't talk about it as something bad. And the nature of it is it still sucks. Like somebody asked me just the other day, do you still suffer when you do these things or gotten a point that you don't feel anymore? And it still sucks. Like I still suffer, but I've just gotten better at transcending it instead of letting it break me. And that comes back to being in the arena and playing on the edges. Hey, conscious investor. 
Often the well-intentioned hardwiring of our past prevents us from moving forward at full capacity. We doubt ourselves. We remind ourselves of who we were told we were instead of discovering who we were created to be. We lack courage to move into the life we're meant to lead. And often, instead of stepping into our full potential, many find themselves living a masked life, concerned with other people's expectations and opinions of their lives. Conscious performance coaching clients discover their potential is far more than they anticipated. Through conscious performance coaching, you will connect with your potential, gain lasting momentum, collapse your timelines, and well, hey, every day feels like play. Stop playing small and step into your full potential. Join the ranks of those who have stepped into their dreams, launched successful businesses, and become unstoppable forces of success. Click the link in the show notes and apply for a free coaching session today. I feel like once you're in the arena and you're playing and you're starting to see yourself that, okay, help me with these words. I don't know if it's an addiction, an attraction, a combination, and there are lots of other words, but it's like, I don't ever want to leave the arena. I don't ever want to leave this space of discomfort and being on the edge and all of that because like, oh my gosh, it sucks sometimes and it's so hard and you get beat up and knocked down and stuff, but then... You have so much to show for. It's like, I didn't even know that existed. And boom, there it is. <laughs> yeah, no, great point. And so one way to navigate that is like, see, in life, there's all these dualities that encompass the human experience, pain, pleasure, life, death, light, darkness, uh, masculine, feminine, ego, humility, right? There's these stress and recovery. There's these seemingly contradictory forces. And when you play too hard on one edge, you can lose yourself to that edge, especially in my world of adventure sports. Like there's a lot of people who die doing the things that I do, you know, yes. who play so far in that edge because they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and it leads to death. Now, everybody gets to make their own call, obviously, on what line of risk, as long as you're not hurting anybody else live your life and what line of risk you want to take. But the way I temper it is by I'm always looking at one duality causing me friction and I go play on the other edge of it. And that's how I stay in a realm that I don't lose myself to one. I'll give you a concrete example. Like. There was a few years ago, I was going for a run and I saw this sign that said 5K fun run. It was like advertising for a run. And I had visceral disgust at the idea of a fun run. Like you don't run for fun. Every- <laughs> you know, and where is this suffering? <laughs> it wasn't even like conscious, just a you know, subconscious disgust at this. But that wasn't healthy. Like and I realized then I was bringing in suffering in all areas of my life because I'd gotten so comfortable with that space of suffering that now had mm-hmm. demonized ease. I had demonized comfort. Comfort inherently is not bad. Like I enjoy my comforts, but it's about playing on both edges of that duality. My friends always joke, like when I'm not in extreme suffering, I like my life pretty bougie. So I'll either be like super bougie or absolute edge of suffering and pain, you know? And again, you find your own version of what that edge is, but that's how you make sure you don't lose yourself to one edge. But also it just makes life so much more of an awesome adventure. Because again, if you stay in only one realm of whatever, like suffering, you're experience more of that. But when you go on the Mm -hmm. other, now you start to discover the things you don't know. You start to play in new realms. Life just becomes more of an amazing adventure on one hand, but that's also how you grow and find new tools you've never accessed before. So I started playing very consciously. If you look at the duality and call it what you want, don't get caught up in the semantics of it, but suffering and play, Right. right? 
I started playing on the mm-hmm. edge of play, of light, of joy, of fun. I would go for runs without measuring the mile just to have fun. I would sing and dance more, right? Do light things, playful. Now, clearly, because of what I do, I'm always someone who lean on the edge of that suffering, and at least if you look at the spectrum of suffering and play. But now that I've gone to the edge of play, I have new tools to access, even when I suffer, even when I do hard things. And I can be much more playful. I can experience light. I can now embrace ease and embrace hard. So look at all do in the human experience and play on the edges of them. And that's how you kind of up level and even find oneness and see how two seemingly contradictory forces can actually coexist as one. And to me, that's the very essence of what an experience of enlightenment is. That's the oneness of all that is. Oh my gosh. I love this so much. Okay. So it always just reminds me, I've been obsessed over the last year, probably the coin, like people start talking about it. I'm like, everything is all just one coin. It's a flip side. And what you're talking about is like the edge of the coin. It is like where they meet together. It's like, that's where it is. I'm going to dumb this down for like 30 seconds and tell you, flying home from Southern California with my son, I had already finished a book. I didn't have another book on me and I didn't have my notebook with me to write in, which is insane for me. And so I didn't. And any opportunity to look like that pretentious, smart person, which is like a character that I can easily fall into is like, oh, well, I'm so smart. Look at me with my book and I'm underlining and look at me. I've got my notebook and I'm writing down these incredible thoughts. You know, I can get really like full of myself sometimes. I have to put myself in check. So there I was. I'm like, I've got nothing except I've got access to audiobooks. So I'm like, we're just relaxing. So I'm like... I put my earbuds in. I'm like sitting there literally doing something I never do. And I was so self-conscious. I was listening to an audiobook, but I was playing Candy Crush on my phone, which is not something I normally do. And I loved it because in Conscious Investor, this is how you could invite some micro discomfort into your life. Because there were people around me seeing this grown adult who in my mind, I'm like, I should definitely have more to show for my life than looking like I'm just sitting here with my Chick-fil-A playing Candy Crush, right? (laughs) It was so fantastic. And I just sat there and like, just welcomed all the feelings and like, just became very present and aware. So I love that like we can express this and we can invite all of these feelings in so many different ways. But I love like, just be real about yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm like, it's one of those new things. I have to process my entire trip now, but I want to go back to your trip and to your adventures and being on the extreme. I have to ask this question. You're going to be going down to Antarctica. You're headed up to train in Minnesota in cold waters and everything like that this winter. Okay. I get that. When you go back into these situations and you're placing yourself in that, then you get to look back at your past experiences as to who you were. I'm just wondering, and we've talked about this, we've kind of danced around it and spoken intentionally, but like, how does that work for you specifically when you're like reactivating and accessing, oh wait, I've been cold. I've done that. It was miserable. It was uncomfortable. It was X, Y, Z. I lost my fingertips. Like how does that past experience inform you in those moments and inspire you or how does it work? It becomes a weapon for you to access, to remind, like if you look at the duality of light and dark, right? So on these umbrella categories, on the light side, these are the positives. These are the beautiful things. So when I'm in the pain cave, if you will, 
the, I'm now struggling in a new battle. I would remind myself, look at all these things you've already done. Like even the other day, I was tire dragging out here and I was having a hard day of tire dragging and uh, tire dragging like this is my training for polar travel. I have this very heavy tire that I go drag around the parks in like 120 degrees in Arizona, right? I live in Phoenix area and I was just on for like two hours. And I remember that earlier in the year, last year, I did a 10 hour tire dragging session. And I was like, dude, I can't even imagine doing 10 hours right now. It just feels like I'm sucking right now in two hours. It becomes a space you can access on the light side. You're looking at yourself and you're reminding yourself how badass you are, right? Like this is all the things I've accomplished. These are like your tools and what I refer to as the spirit armory. So this is your spirit, your armory of weapons. And that's in your own human spirit of things you've accomplished. Everybody listening to this, you've overcome struggle. I've overcome struggle. You've achieved things. Those are tools for you to access. So even if you look at the duality of ego and humility, ego is demonized as something bad, right? Ego is the enemy. Ego is not the enemy. To do the kind of things I do, I have to believe I'm the hardest, toughest, greatest human being alive, right? And it's not about talking trash about others. It's like in my moment, I'm going to tap into that ego. Now, again, too much ego can be bad. Ego can be bad. So you have humility to learn. But let's come back to, again, whatever the umbrella duality you want to use. But on the light side, I'm tapping into the positive. On the darker side, I look at my life experiences. All right. I feel guilty that I lost a friend in the war, right? I believe because As I said, my vehicle drove over a bomb. It didn't explode. My friends exploded. I've lost friends to suicide, to addiction. All these things that could have been me. There's multiple times in my life I could have been on the cusp of death and didn't die. And so I believe there's a debt I owe for this life I've been gifted. I mean, even the fact that I was born to good parents in India, that alone gave me a million times more life opportunities than people like I've worked with former child soldiers, with survivors of sex trafficking, people in poverty, leper colonies. And I've seen people in the darkest places of the human condition, right? The darkest corners of Mm -hmm. earth. And they were born into that. They didn't get to choose their life. They just were automatically born into hell. As a result, they have suffered so much more than I could fathom. And I was blessed with so many more opportunities. So I believe there's a debt I owe for this life I've been gifted that I have to repay. Now, whether or not you agree with me is not the point, because a lot of people, even therapists have like, that's an unhealthy way to think. And that's cool. If that you don't have to think the way I think, the point that I'm saying is it's a quote unquote darkness, right? It's tapping into that darkness that, hey, you owe a debt for this life. So sometimes when I'm in my that pain cave, it's like you suck it up. You have a debt to pay for this life. It should have been you that died in the war. Mm-hmm. You didn't die. So earn this keep moving forward, right? So I'm tapping into both places. I don't always talk to myself like that, but that's a place I can go when I need to. So the key is you want to put yourself in the arena and start learning, start practicing out of all my life experiences, out of all my belief systems, my values, my constructs of how I engage with reality, what weapon can I use when I need it? In those cases, Mm -hmm. like doing very opposite things. Sometimes I'm like, looking at how beautiful the world is. Sometimes I'm going deeper into how dark the world is. And both those, even though they are exact opposites in a way, both those have their place in terms of weapons I can use to keep moving forward to whatever challenges life throws my way. But you have to start practicing with that to know what weapons work for you as you need it based on your own life experiences and values. Does that make sense? Um, Oh, I'm tracking completely with you. I'm wondering, like, this is sounds like a silly question. Did you make a list? Like, how did you harvest out those lessons? Because you're an extremely intentional person. So I wonder, like, maybe we can extrapolate this for the conscious investor and to say, like, okay, well, maybe you haven't done any of this inner work at all. And now how do we access it? How did you start to access that? I mean, yeah, let me leave it there. Like, it's an intricate question in all reality. 
Yeah, to your point, it's about doing that inner work. The greatest hero's journey mm-hmm. any one of us can embark upon is the journey within. Mm-hmm. You know, and Carl Jung said people will do anything no matter how absurd to avoid facing their own soul. And we do the negative things, drinking, drugs, watching Netflix all day, but even sometimes the positive things. I'll work out, I'll work insanely mm-hmm. hard just to stay away from myself. And many people, I know a lot of people with a ton of money who are miserable because that has been their tool simply to escape facing their own soul. So the key is taking time for stillness. In my experience with the human condition, stillness is the greatest human fear. It's not a fear most people will say, like if you ask somebody, what are you scared of? Nobody's gonna be like stillness, but we will do everything to distract ourselves from ourselves. So, I mean, I did that through just being with myself and then me being me, I took it to an extreme. I think you might've heard, I've done a seven day and a 10 day darkness retreat where I just spent 10 full days sitting in a completely dark room, like pitch black. You cannot see your hand in front of you. 24 hours a day for 10 full days. You have nothing to do in there, but go within. And when you do that, again, you don't have to go to the extremes. Even if you just start meditating a little more, spend half an hour a day, just doing nothing, being with, you're going to start opening doors within yourself that haven't been opened before. And when you do, that's how you now access those places within yourself. Because as Carl Jung also said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. And that, to me, I think summarizes the essence of why that inner work is so important. Because if you don't, that unconscious is controlling your life without your awareness. So how I've been able to turn my demons and allies is because I've gone into those spaces. And before, when I was drinking a bottle of vodka a day, I was just doing everything I could to run away from those demons. Everything. I didn't want to face them. So I'll just run. There was a time there, even positive things. Like when I skied across Greenland in 2012, I just wanted to go back to an intense environment. It's still. So I was doing everything, even the quote unquote positive thing, like these adventures. Now I still do those adventures, but I'm not doing it to run away. Now I'm doing it running toward, seeking something not as an escape, but you have to take that time for stillness to go within. And that can be as simple as meditating. It can be journaling. You mentioned you'd have notebook, like journaling on a regular basis. It can be talking to a coach, a therapist. I could not recommend a dark room enough. You know, you don't have to start with 10 days, go for five days, seven days. Like it's one of the most profoundly beautiful spiritual experiences one can go through. So they have these darkness retreat centers, uh, a few of them around the world. And that will be like, that's taking it to the next level. You will go so much deeper within yourself than you've ever gone before. If you do that. That is absolutely phenomenal. And when I think about things like darkness, right, it does, it makes us uncomfortable. And honestly, how many people will go to the movies by themselves or go to dinner by themselves? I mean, we are with ourselves. The only person like from birth till death Cradle to grave, this is a person that we spend the most time with. We sure better get to know each ourselves. (laughs) Get to know that person a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Be on that team. Be on the team for that person. Exactly. You know, I'm looking at the clock. There's an area I want to go, and that is the edge of the world. You are getting ready for this ginormous expedition, and it's going to be a record in the entire world. I would love to have you explain it so I don't ruin it. (laughs) Let's talk about like, I'd love to know, like explain what this journey is in Antarctica. And then what is it that you were hoping to discover about yourself? That's a selfish question on my part. Like, I'd love to know what you would love to discover about yourself through that journey. Yeah. So the journey is I will be dragging a 400 pound sled for 110 days, 1700 miles 
across the entire continent of Antarctica from one coast to the other coast. This has never been done before. People have done a coast to coast crossing with wind power or with, like with the kite or with dogs, but without kites or dogs, a coast to coast crossing has never been accomplished. So the goal is to do this, to accomplish the first ever human powered cross of the continent, and I'll be completely alone. So for 110 days, I'll be isolated in the most hostile environment of the planet. We're talking minus 40 degrees, hurricane force winds, absolutely savage. I've been to Antarctica before, as I mentioned, lost two fingers to frostbite. So it's the most hostile environment of the planet. And for portions of the journey, I will literally be geographically the most isolated life form on the entire planet for parts of that journey. <laughs> so what I hope to gain from this, again, with every goal, selfish and selfless, right? But to answer yeah. the question about the selfish goal is as far as what I'm looking for than myself is I don't know. And that's part of the excitement. Like, I don't know what I will find. I don't know who I will be. Like I've played on a lot of edges up to this point in my life. I've gone a lot of deep work. I've done a lot of very intense things. And so I've gotten to a point now, I've discovered a lot within myself about the human spirit. But part of the draw is I don't know what I'm going to find out there. 110 days alone. I mean, when you experience that level of solitude, that level of suffering, like dragging a 400 pound sled every single day, 12 hours a day, just this mind numbing monotony of dragging this in flat white nothingness, you know, that level of struggle, that level of solitude, it gets you get to open new doors in a human soul that have never been opened before. Like that's part of the exploration is I can't wait to see what I will find and who I will become on the other side of this. Like I can't possibly know who I will become on the other side of this, but that's part of the draw. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you because a lot of times as humans, we're like constantly looking for, oh, can we land on the moon and can we discover the galaxy and how far down can we dive with these crafts that we've created and how technology and yet we are these unexplored creatures and the wisdom, the insight, the knowledge, the everything that one who has ventured into those depths, such as yourself it just opens a door for, oh, hey, I just went on this huge trip. It's not that, not to diminish at all, but it's not that you went on this trip like geographically and stuff. It's, I went on this trip internally and here's what I mind out and here's how it affects humanity. It's like such a great, huge contribution, but it's underrated. People don't value it. <laughs> I mean, I get called crazy, insane all the time. And even when the nature of exploration, people are like, what's the point? But, you know, why do anything if you really want to dig into that rabbit hole? <laughs> but like you have to battle the dragon to find the treasure and the bigger the dragon, the greater the treasure. So for me, it's unearthing these treasures in the human spirit, in the human soul, in the human experience. And my responsibility of earning this life is then bringing those treasures back. And that's why I come on places like this, share it. And it leaves a mark because I'm very grateful that I get to play on these edges. And I'm not unaware, even when I'm in like immense suffering out there, which you do, but I get to go there. And that's a privilege that many in the world don't get to choose their own struggle. They don't get to choose their own suffering. So as a result, I get to go so far into the extremes and that allows me to access places that are very rarely accessed. So that wisdom that I bring back then, then can be applied to others navigating their, because everybody's got their own Antarctica to cross. Everybody's facing their own version of a polar storm. But I get to access different weapons to battle those storms because of how extreme the battles that I face are. And so the weapons that I get to open and unearth and access, I get to share it with others to tap into that within themselves so they can face their own storms, whatever they may be. I am so excited about your adventure, your exploration, both physically in Antarctica, as well as the personal part 
probably more about the personal part. Okay. <laughs> These trips don't just happen. And I would love to support you in Conscious Investor. Like hear this, there is a way that you can have your small little, it's almost like pre-ordering a book, if you will, because there's no doubt you already have a book out. I'm going <laughs> to totally butcher the name. Yeah, thank you. If you think of Nirvana and I'm like, fear Nova, to say it correctly. But in the same way of pre-ordering a book, this is almost like pre-pre-ordering the book. Because if you head over, there will be a link in the show notes. You can join the crowdfunding for this expedition Akshay is going to be taking, right? And so think of that as not an investment of like, oh, like you should be supporting him. However, think of it even in a much larger sense of things. Think of it as supporting humanity because obviously he's written a book endorsed by the Dalai Lama and doing so many other speaking and um, opportunities around the globe to support humans, right? In their growth and development. So it's not just, okay, you're doing this thing, you're setting a record, blah, blah, blah. If that's how you're viewing it, it's, oh my gosh, you're unlocking new ideas, concepts, skills, strategies, tactics, et cetera, for humanity. Mm. That's a huge deal. And you can be part of that. Whatever you want to drop down in the crowdfunding campaign, like make that happen. And you know what? Maybe you have more money and you want to put it towards something, you know, if you want to put like five bucks in, great. That's awesome. You're part of it. If you Mm -hmm. have something else and you want to become like a primary sponsor, basically, do it. Make it happen. I can't think about this. Somebody who has the money to just say, I'm funding your expedition. This is going to sound really extreme, but I'm very much in that whole mindset growth development space. Did anybody ever say, man, why did they fund Christopher Columbus? It's so ridiculous. Why do they give him boats? Why do they give him everything? Like... When we think about explorers, like nobody is looking at the history books being like, dang it, they shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah, actually, some people might. But my (laughs) point is, if you have an opportunity, you might be that person. If you have the means, you might be that person to be like, you know what? Let's go down in history. Let's make this happen. Thank you. Yeah. It's like the four minute mile, right? The Roger Bannister. When one person does it, it expands human consciousness about what's possible for all of us. And we were filming a documentary around it, working with the crew in Hollywood. So telling the story to inspire others to tell the story, even experience it for speaking gigs all over the world. Like I remember one talk I did, a guy heard me and he was so inspired, lost all this weight and then went and hiked Everest Base Camp, you know? So it does leave a mark and I've experienced this multiple times. And so any support would be well received. I'm also giving away different tools, like at different donation tiers, I give away like all all the mindset trainings that I've built over the years of playing on these edges and various things like that. So it's at greatsoulcrossing.com. That's great. S-O-U-L crossing.com is the website and any support with the crowdfunding would sure be well received to make history together. That's so awesome. I appreciate you. Thank you for doing the deeper exploration for humanity. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time and just this powerful conversation. So I'm excited to see where the adventure leads. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely amazing. Conscious Investor, don't let this just be another podcast you listen to. Figure out, take a moment and write down what could be, in a sense, your dark room. Take mine. Do your own harvesting. Say, just find one thing that stood out to you from what Akshay said, and then just take that, apply it to your life. Find your own way to apply that and just write a few notes about what you discovered about yourself. And you know, tag us on social media because 
it's so exciting to know what is landing with you. It's absolutely exhilarating. Until next time, Conscious Investor, live big, love bigger, and do great things. Are you enjoying this episode? Help spread the word by sharing the episode with a friend or family member. Because really, where would any of our lives be without other people sharing great content with us? Help spread the word by sharing on your social platforms and with those you care about. And remember, tag me at Happy Julie Holly.